and it was clean. It was crisp. It was very precise. And I just heard it just like that. And I, and I grabbed the napkin from under my drink because I didn't have any paper. And I wrote the prologue to the maid in a single <laughs> burst. And even then, it, I didn't quite realize that I'd just begun my debut novel. Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. You are listening, and I'm absolutely thrilled that you are listening to PageCast, which is the brand new and absolutely never-to-be-missed podcast from Jonathan Ball Publishers. And they've got millions of imprints, and this one is HarperCollins. And we're talking about a book that has taken the world by storm. And it's called The Maid, and it's by Nita Prose. And it is absolutely delightful. And I've got all sorts of questions. Nita is joining us from Canada. So first of all, Nita, welcome to my very first podcast of the year. Thank you so much, Jenny. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Well, listen, um, I don't think that you can hear it, but this uh, we're recording this in Johannesburg, and uh, we have got a huge, what we call a high-felt downpour, and they are magnificent. So if there's a clap of thunder and you don't hear from me again, you'll know exactly what has happened. So <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. But anyway, we're thrilled to have you in Africa, and specifically in South Africa. One of the reasons why this book is doing so well is that we cannot cope with any more bad news, which means that the world has swung from reading non-fiction to fiction. So anyone doing fiction, I mean, I, th I think they've got a leg in, and I think it's absolutely wonderful. So I've read from beginning to end, and none of you will be surprised because I decided to paint my toenails in the bath with a copy of The Maid, And two hours later, the bath was almost overflowing and I was beginning to get cold because I couldn't put any more water in. And honestly, Nita, I'm telling you the truth. That is exactly what happened. Well, you must have come out like a prune. I, well, my fingers were prunish. The rest of me was perfect. So, so don't, don't worry about that. But I want to start, I want to start right at the beginning because because I had all of these sort of schmaltzy comments about the book, and I just thought that the maid, whose name is Molly the Maid, would come across sweet and um, and just loving everybody. And right at the very beginning of the book, I wasn't sure whether she wasn't a little bit threatening. Now, I don't, I don't know whether you intended that at all, but she really is, what is the word? She is socially very awkward, doesn't understand distance, She doesn't understand jokes. I'm not sure whether she's a virgin or not, but she, she does bear a couple of grudges. Cheaters deserve to be thrown in quicksand and to suffocate in filth. Now, this is in the first chapter. So, Nita, you understand. I read that and I thought, oh, okay, not so sweet then. Then the next one was, <laughs> if a man I fancied was hairy, I'd get the wax out and I'd rip the strips off him until he was clean and bare. And I thought... Okay, is she a bunny burner? I knew immediately that I didn't know whether she was nice, whether she was nasty, whether she was dangerous, or whether she was lost. And that was all in the first chapter. 
Indeed, that's very true. Molly is a socially awkward character, and she stumbles across the body of a of a guest who's very dead in the hotel room bed, and she then becomes a suspect in his murder. But you know, this is a book about being the same as everyone else and yet entirely different. And you know, I think as a who done it, it might be a little unusual as well because the murder can only be solved through a connection to the human heart. And as for Molly, she is, as you say, a collection of bitterness and sweetness in one fine package. And you've uh, just isolated some of the moments where some of her thoughts are perhaps a little dark. But the question is, are her deeds? And that is a question that gets answered throughout the course of the book. And, you know, I tried to, through the narration of this book, allow the re reader to really get inside Molly's point of view, to see from her eyes, to experience the world as she does, to see what it's really like to be invisible in plain sight as a maid. And I hope that by experiencing that, to live a little as Molly is to love her. Nita, just talking about Molly, she insists on going into the front door of the hotel. She's supposed to go through the back door, but that's her one, one and only sign of rebellion at the beginning of the book. And she does that because she's so excited about working there. And she almost faints when she looks at the staircase <laughs> because it's like a, a staircase to paradise. And then she goes in and she goes down and down and down because she's a cleaning maid. Where I first felt a little touched by her was when she was talking about her trolley. And there are clean, <laughs> there are clean towels, there are clean sheets, there are clean, and they all smell wonderful. There are soaps and there's sprays and there's this and there's that and cotton wool buds. And she is in love with her trolley because she's invincible and she's also in love with her uniform. And her uniform is black and white, but it doesn't, it's not a naughty black and white, if you understand what I'm saying. Yes, Molly, you know, in, in the Regency Grand, she loves her work. She loves her uniform. Order is a necessity for her. She feels safe when she things are orderly and clean. Uh, and returning the world to a state of perfection, uh, as she sees it through cleanliness, is her absolute ideal. Now, through the course of the book, she does learn maybe, you know, to give a little <laughs> in that respect, but it's a long journey for her to get there. <laughs> well, it's certainly a long journey to get there. And she's very isolated and she is totally aware that she doesn't have any friends. But that doesn't mean to say that she doesn't want friends. So when somebody shows her kindness, she opens up maybe a little bit too willingly but like a flower that sort of opens only during the day and, and she starts spreading her wings, sometimes with a bit of luck and sometimes with no luck at all. Before we go any further, it's rare, and you know this because you're a book editor yourself, to be presented with a character that is fully formed. How did you come across and how did you, how did you develop Molly the Maid? Well, it happened like this. I did not actually mean to write my debut novel, but it really struck me like a lightning bolt. So in 2019, I was in London at the London Book Fair for work, and I was staying at a London area hotel, and I left for a business meeting, and I came back, and I completely startled the roommate who was cleaning my room. 
And I remember her jumping back into a shadowy corner. And Jenny, this is the truly embarrassing part. She had in her hands my track pants, which of course, like a fool, I had left in a tangled mess on my bed. (laughs) And I remember looking at her then and thinking, my goodness, it is such an invisible and intimate job to be a roommate. You know, simply by cleaning my room every day, she knew so much about me, but I knew nothing about her. And sort of, it's one of those moments that lodges in your mind, you know, and and I didn't think of it anymore. But a few days later, I was on my plane ride home, and that's when it came to me. It was Molly's voice, and it was clean, it was crisp, it was very precise. And I just heard it, just like that, and I and I grabbed the napkin from under my drink because I didn't have any paper. And I wrote the prologue to The Maid in a single burst. And even then, it, I didn't quite realize that, that I'd just begun my debut novel. So all the, the peripheral things, I can understand you creating a maid in a five-star hotel and being in love with her trolley and, you know, black and white uniform and all of that. But the grandmother, the, the very, very modest means that, uh, that she lived in, absence of friends and, and, and all of that, how did you slowly start putting layers onto onto the basic Molly? Well, I knew I wanted her in that state of grief at the beginning. And, you know, I think I'm a bit of a what I call a tentpole writer. I'm a writer who knows a few things, but, you know, is enthralled and motivated by the mystery of creation. So I knew certain scenes. I knew where we were headed with Gran and with that relationship that is so essential between her and Molly. But what kept me waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning to write the next scene was not knowing how I was going to get to those, uh, you know, twists and turns that come in the second half of the book. And the other thing about Gran is, you know, I lost my mother about five years ago, but I was so lucky to have such a strong matriarch in my life. She, in many fundamental ways, is not like Gran, but in, in the, in the way that she unconditionally loved, she's exactly like Gran. And she also had a penchant for um, sayings. So Gran in the book, you know, always spouts these little truisms and aphorisms and sayings that Molly, you know, records and lives by. And my mother used to do the same, except um, she used to mix them all up. So they were very mix and match. And they used to make me laugh a lot. But I did give some of her cleaned up sayings to Gran. And, you know, in some ways, I wanted Gran to be a gift to the reader. You know, I was so lucky to have such a strong matriarch in my life. And many of us are, and some of us aren't that lucky. And so, uh, you know, to, to the reader, I give you Gran. Well, listen, she, she is a gift. And, uh, and she is there throughout the book, right, you know, in every single chapter, Gran uh, does appear. And it's almost as if she's, she's watching her, her granddaughter and uh, not approving or disproving, but just being there and, and giving out love. And she's a very strong character. But there are, there are other characters. And I was reading a little bit about you, Nita, obviously, and there's still not a great deal written about you, but I was really taken with uh, Mr. Alexander Snow, who happens to be <laughs> the hotel manager, but that you were imagining, because you sold the film rights already, uh, and congratulations on that, um, that you. you were imagining Stanley Tucci as Mr. Alexander Snow, and he's got this widow's peak, and all his hair is combed back. So I can see Stanley sort of as, as Mr. Alexander Snow. Am I right? 
Well, absolutely. I could see him too, but who knows what the casting will be. Uh, Universal Pictures has optioned the film, and of course, Florence Pugh, uh, the amazing Academy Award nominee for uh, Little Women, and who was also in Black Widow and Midsummer and many other things, is set to executive produce and to star in the role of Molly, which I could not be more excited about. And then, you know, the rest of the casting, well, we'll have to see. But for sure, for me, I can't help but see Stanley Tucci in that role. You know, Mr. Snow is a very fastidious uh, person as well, much like Molly. And he wants this hotel to be perfectly clean, both metaphorically and um, literally. However, there's so many dirty secrets lurking in the Regency Grand Hotel. If you just scratch the surface a little, you suddenly realize that this facade of Art Deco luxury and elegance is not quite what's happening in, in uh, the hotel itself. And as you alluded to, Jenny, there are sort of two worlds in this place. There's the upstairs world of, that is the facade for the guest and so glorious and lovely and elegant. But there's the downstairs world, too, that all of the workers uh, work in, and Molly especially. It's dank, it's dark, it's tight, it's uncomfortable, um, it's too hot. And so, you know, I think it's funny about hotels, how they, they, they are these places that, that are really two worlds. One is an illusion, and one holds a lot of secrets. The research that you did, before we go back to, to the book itself, what research did you do? I mean, did you check yourself into a five-star hotel and just make notes, even in your head, as, as you were sort of staying there for three nights? I am an incorrigible people watcher. So whenever I go to any hotel, I cannot help myself. I'm always studying it. I'm studying the hierarchical elements. I'm studying what I'm supposed to see versus what I'm not supposed to see. I just can't help it. So yes, I did do research and, uh, you know, that wasn't only in the five stars. I wanted to see a whole variety of hotels. And I must admit to you, Jenny, that I did skulk around in those back rooms. I went places I wasn't supposed to go. And I really did experience what it's like. If you, if you pretend you're working there and that you're not a guest, it really is as though you're invisible. And believe me, you can turn doorknobs and enter rooms that you're not supposed to be in and nobody pays you any mind. So were you wearing a uniform? Please say yes. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> no, I was not. However, uh, for, for these occasions, I, I dressed in a rather bland uh, way so that I could do my skulking. <laughs> and did you say so you're a hotel snoop? I mean, I, I understand that. So let's talk a little bit about some of your influences. I don't know whether as a, a book editor, you've had crime novels go through your hands, have you? I sure have. Uh, crime and thrillers uh, are, are something that I work on quite regularly and absolutely adore. I'm an omnivore reader, but I'm also an omnivore editor. Um, I would say that in terms of influences, I think, you know, I can't help but be influenced by the great master of Agatha Christie in this world of, of, of mystery. But also, if you took a smattering of the film Knives Out and a little bit of the board game Clue, you'd kind of come up with a mood board that gave you some of the flavors of the maid. Is it the bartender with a knife in the kitchen or is it the maid with a pillow in the bedroom? You know, it's that sort of whodunit element uh, that I think is the fun part of the novel. And once that was in an overlay on the book, then I could delve into some of the other perhaps more unexpected 
unexpected layers of the book. It really is a journey for Molly to go from absolute loneliness to a world where she finds a community of supporters who help her build a heart around her and a new life that will be full of hope. And hope is what I want the reader to be left with when that last page is turned. Let's go back to a tried and trusted formula, and you're quite right, because one of my questions is going to be, this is Agatha Christie in a hotel. It's the thing of an enclosed community, and in this instance, it could have been anybody who murdered Mr. Black. The main suspicion has got to fall on somebody in the hotel, but you narrowed it down to, what, a handful, really, of people mm -hmm. who suspicion would fall on. And Molly, who at no stage appeared to be frightened because she kept fainting. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so she became so overwhelmed by what was happening around her that she'd just pass out. And that, that actually was a very clever way of developing the plot. And, and when you started getting to the stage of revealing the story, which is in the second half of the book, because you set the scene so brilliantly and confused everybody. Were you using post-its on the wall, as some authors do? You know, second chapter, third paragraph, um, so-and-so does such and such a thing. Was that how you plotted it, or did you just feel it? Uh, you know, there is a lot of feeling, but there's also what I know. So I don't use post-its, but I do use notes to myself on the page. So in square brackets, I'll say, remember here, you have to do X or Y. And that's a note to myself about laying down the groundwork of breadcrumbs that for the reader, you get to participate in that journey. And that is, you know, so important to me. You know, that intimate place where you give the reader just enough for them to imagine, intuit, and participate in the journey, but not so much that they have everything at their fingertips and then aren't actually involved. So from the way you are talking, that you did not find the writing process difficult at all. There is nothing easy about writing. Uh, perhaps it sounds as though <laughs> it was easy, but there is never anything easy about it. You know, the big difference, and I really had to reckon with this in changing roles from editor to author, was how blind I was when I entered what I call the maze. You know, I always talk about with my authors about how, you know, an author stands in front of a labyrinth and they their job is to go through that and find the full narrative and get to the end of the story. And it is so daunting when you're in the maze because you don't know that if you turn left and right for six months, you're going to get to a dead end. Your editor does and she's on a ladder outside the labyrinth looking down within and she can actually tell you, oh, don't go that way. You're going to get nowhere. So it was actually quite daunting for me to have to go through that process in the initial stages before we went on submission and found publishers to navigate my way through this story with all of its twists and turns and lay down a foundation that was, you know, in that sweet spot in many different ways in terms of the mystery, in terms of understanding Molly's character and in terms of, you know, clue collection for the reader. So in no way is that process easy. I, I uh, hopefully as I gain more experience as a writer, I will um, gain facility with it. But, uh, you know, it is a challenge. It's, it's a real challenge and, and one that is incredibly frustrating and immensely gratifying. So, so, I mean, we've spoken a lot about this. We, we can't, cannot reveal anything, 
But I want to know if you can recount. I just sometimes there are scenes where you can see that an author, from your point of view, has absolutely loved writing that particular scene. Is there a scene without giving anything away that you particularly enjoyed re uh, writing? Yes. Well, the, certainly when you know when when readers read the book. I will say that, you know, some of the twists that happen in the second half of the book, those scenes, while they were painful to write, they were also ones where I really felt excited to write those. So those those were were lovely. But I, of course, I'm not going to spoil them. So um, the reader will just have to figure out what what those are. But you know what I definitely enjoyed was writing the Regency Grand, you know, bringing into being this gorgeous art deco hotel and painting a picture for the reader that is just enough but not too much you know giving that art deco sensibility of walking up those red stairs and moving through the glass uh, revolving door and then seeing the splendor of that lobby with its marble floors and the grand staircase with its golden balustrades and walking up to it and looking down into the terrace below where guests are milling about and sitting on jewel-toned settees. I just loved, you know, basking in that world and trying to make it real for the reader in so many different sensory ways. The smell, the, the sound, the look, the plushness. As we begin to come to the end of this, because we can't, um, we can't stretch any scene except the death scene. And the death scene, everybody's got to read it very carefully, and you've jumbled it up so well um, that nobody will be able to follow you. They might have the odd suspicion, but they will be the wrong, it will be the wrong thing. But what I liked about, uh, about Molly is by then she was, uh, you know, she understood perfection and she, you know, was able to clean like nobody else can clean. But she went into the into the room where Mr. Black, who was not a nice man, and no. uh, was was lying on his back, and she had enough presence of mind to go up to him and to put two fingers on his neck, and it was all uh, cold and waxy, and uh, and to determine that he was that he was dead. And then she, I think she fainted at some stage, and then she went on cleaning and whatever. Stories all around that scene, I think, must have been the most wonderful fun to write. What was really fun uh, about that scene was knowing that I, you know, from the beginning, I killed Mr. Black. And Mr. Black is uh, a rich, obnoxious, overprivileged, wealthy real estate tycoon who never deserved a place anywhere, in my humble opinion. And it was such a joy to have him dead from the beginning. <laughs> and then, and then, of course, because he's, he's despicable. There's nothing good about Mr. Black. And then, of course, as the novel progresses, we find out all the reasons why. But you're absolutely right, Jenny, and I'm glad you picked up on how much fun that scene was to write. And what was fun about it was Molly's unusual you know, demeanor in this terrifically odd and awful circumstance of discovering a body. So would you give me five things that you think Molly would never, ever do? Five things. <laughs> well, she would never leave the, the uh, dishes in the kitchen sink. She would do them immediately. 
Um, she would never, after having a shower, write something on the condensed mirror. Um, she would never call people in names because sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can hurt you even more. She would never be uh, unkind to anyone who did not, in her mind, deserve it. Oh, that was so before. I must, I must come up with one more. Oh, let me, uh, let me get, I'll give you one. So, okay. So, okay, so she, um, at one stage, uh, detectives come into the hotel and, you know, after, after the death, and she's interviewed by one of the detectives, Detective Stark, who, in Molly's words, uh, looks like a large dog listening for sounds in the forest. And, um, and she's got a biro, you know, one of those ones with the blue lid. And Molly is almost sick uh, because she can see that the, the lid has been chewed. And under no circumstances would Molly ever, ever, ever chew the lid of a biro pen, ever. That is absolutely true. Nor would she ever use the same cloth to clean a toilet in the Regency Grand Hotel exactly. as she would to clean the rest of the suite. That is unconscionable. It is totally <laughs> unconscionable. <laughs> so, so now, when you put the final full stop to the maid, did you know that the book was good? Did you, did you get that? Because all authors hopefully think that by the time they're finished, they've got a good book. We know that that doesn't happen very often. But did you kind of just know that it clicked, it had clicked somehow? Oh, Jenny, it's such a hard question to answer because I knew something and yet I doubted myself so profoundly. You know, I knew that I, I had done something that pleased me greatly, but would it please you know, the audience? Would it please agents? Would it please publishers? Would it, finally, the most important people to me, would it please readers? And that I didn't know. So to say uh, that I'm happy now <laughs> is an understatement because, uh, you know, the, the book is being embraced, it's being read, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for those readers who reach out to me and, you know, say, oh my goodness, Gran is just like my, my grandmother and I was reminded of her, you know, on the pages. Or we all need this reminder to be gentle and kind to those amongst us who may seem to us different. When you heard that you had sold the film rights managed by your agent, how did you celebrate? Did you scream? Oh, I fell to my knees. <laughs> there have been a few moments when I, and I'm, I, I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. I fell to my knees. I could not believe it. Um, you know, these are, these are dream worthy moments for, for any writer. Um, and just the thought that maybe one day we will see this world and see Molly on the screen. Um, you know, it's going to be so different on screen it could, because as I mentioned before, you know, it's, it's really a balancing act for a writer. How much do you give? How much do you describe? How much do you hold back so that you can allow the reader's imagination to fill in all those details? Well, it's not like that in the cinema, is it, Jenny? We see everything in vivid technicolor. And honestly, I can't wait. That is going to be so thrilling for me. What a lovely discussion. And, and thank you for being so open about it. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, you are a delight, Jenny. Thank you so much for, for these incredible questions and for reading in the bathtub.
<laughs> and painting my toenails at the same time. There is an art to that. I'm Nita. sure there is. <laughs> Nita Prose, author of The Maid, thank you very, very much indeed for contributing so magnificently to PageCast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast. <laughs>